You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. When you have your Bibles, turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, we're going to read in a little bit here, 1 through 11. Our focus is on the one another found in verse 11. Um, but we're continuing in this series that uh, we started a few weeks ago called Come and Belong, uh, looking at the one another's, these uh, house rules, the things and traits that define us as a people of God, these commands that shape our uncommon community that guide how we live and how we treat one another and the expectations that we have as a church, as an uncommon community, as a people of God here in the body of Christ. Now, an uncommon community is a community or group of people that is on the move. You know it or not, we are on the move. We're not on the run, but we're on the move. We're not being chased by anyone. We're not to here because uh, we're trying to escape uh, something, but we are on the move. We're moving forward in faith towards Christ, pursuing holiness and maturity as we grow as the people of God. And now as a people of God, we want to be a healthy, growing, vibrant community, one that really is discontent with the status quo. It isn't settling for what is just acceptable or normal in today's uh, society or politically correct. No, we're unsatisfied with the way things are spiritually in our life, with the way things are in our community as we are seeking to, to grow, to mature, to accelerate in the faith. See, it is love that keeps our community together. It is the welcoming that keeps our community vibrant. It is burden-bearing that keeps our community healthy. And today's one another, this idea of encouraging one another is what keeps our community growing, accelerating one another forward with faith. And so hopefully you found 1 Thessalonians 5. It's right in the middle of the end of our New Testament. I guess it's probably right about in the middle, huh? About there. 1 Thessalonians 5. Let me read 1 through 11 so we can set the stage and then we'll walk our way through it as we go. Follow along and listen as I read these verses for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is God's word for God's people. Now write this down in your notes or in the margins of your Bible or however you uh, make notes about the Bible. Write this down. Encouragement is an accelerant of our uncommon community. That is the premise of this passage. And the premise of the message this morning is this, is this principle here, that encouragement is an accelerant of our uncommon community. What brings us together and moves us forward is this command and this activity in the believer's life of encouragement. And what's really interesting to note that in this passage or in this larger section of 1 Thessalonians is twice this command is given. Twice it's uh, kind of the uh, resolution or the culmination of this, these two short teachings on the end times or eschatology. The believers that uh, Paul is writing to in the city of Thessalonica, this young church, this new church plant in this city, he gives a little snippet on the end times and then he says, encourage one another. We just saw it as the passage I read in, in, in uh, chapter 5, but just go back a little bit into end of chapter 4, beginning in 13, verse 13 is another section on the end. And then in verse 18, he says, therefore, that summary word, in light of the truth that I just taught you, therefore, what does it say? Encourage one another with these words in light of the end in light of what is yet to come in light of christ's return for us this is what we do we encourage one another we bring others next to us we come alongside and to define this just very simply here as we've tried to do each week with the one another's to encourage literally it could just simply mean like you next to me same way like love is you before me and to welcome one another is uh, you uh, 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 next to or you near me. That's what it was. You near me. I should know these, right? And burden bearing or supporting is a you above me. This is a you next to me for the purpose of moving forward, of taking steps in the faith. It's the Greek word parakaleo. It's a term also used of the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the encourager, the one who comes alongside. And it's different than a welcoming, which is an invitation to come near. But in this sense, it is us bringing others, you next to me. I am coming near you because I can see that you are discouraged. And as we bring others near us, next to us, as we come alongside, we're also to build up, look at verse 11, to build one another up, to fortify or to strengthen in the truth of God's word and God's character. And all of this is an action, just as you are doing. It is an accelerant, an activity that we as God's people are commanded to be about encouraging and building up one another in light of the truth of Christ's return. Now, if you've heard me talk about in times and other scenarios and things, what is our, the, the typical response when we think about the end? Many people uh, are driven to fear. 
driven fear because it's like, I don't know what these things are. Uh, and, and it sounds so scary of what is yet to come. And so this leads into this like speculative obsession about it. And it's all they can think about, all they can read about. All they, they, in every headline, in every social media post, they see it as some like a reference to an obscure passage in Habakkuk or something. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, well, we don't understand it. We don't know. Or we're afraid about it. And so let's, it's better just to avoid it all. And when it happens, all right, praise God about it. And yet I think there is something more faithful. We're called to something here in these verses in light of the end. In light of the certain return of Christ and all that will mean our response is one of anticipation. One of hope. One of confidence that propels our encouragement and building up of one another. See, thoughts of the end are meant to be an encouragement to the Christian that better days are ahead for us, that this is not the end, and so we can keep pressing forward in faith with the same certainty that we had that Christ had died for us on the cross and rose again as the same certainty that we have that he will come uh, 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 again and return for his beloved. And it's because of this, church, that we can encourage without hesitation. It's because of this that we can encourage with great hope that we do not have to hold back so long as we anchor our hope in the gospel, knowing that there, <coughs> excuse me, there are no hopeless situations. There are no moments in life where the gospel has no power to change or where Christ is not the greater treasure. Now, I know these are some lofty claims, right? Lofty claims based on a passage like this. And so let's anchor them to the text. Let's anchor them to the context here as we will see in these verses and even as we zoom out a bit. And so if our aim is to encourage without hesitation, if our aim is to bring others next to us, if this is the command that we know we're to do and this is what it means to bring others uh, uh, nearest, to come alongside and support and encourage, what is it that we must tether ourselves to in order to encourage without hesitation, here's the first point. We have to tether our encouragement to the gospel. It has to be tethered or anchored or strapped to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is doing here. As he's teaching, just giving a small snippet, he's not teaching exhaustively or comprehensively on all the things that will come from the end. But in light of all of these things, uh, he's in light of this, this is where we find the source of our hope or our encouragement. And so just look at, let's just kind of untangle some of these ideas and the metaphors that he's using here. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, he's expanding on what he's already written about in in chapter four here on the preceding verses of the Lord's return on the end times. And he says they have no need. He has no need to have anything written to you. Apparently, while he was there with them, he taught extensively. He's like, man, I would have loved to sit in those eschatology classes, right? Paul had always like, you don't need to write it. They're already, what does it say? Fully aware of the day of the Lord and that it'll come suddenly like a thief in the night. Now, as we think about this, they're fully aware. They know full well of the imminence of the day of the Lord. Let me just ask this question. Is this familiar to you? Hearing even a phrase like this, the day of the Lord, is this familiar to your kind of understanding? 
I'm just here to can we just be bold for a second? Be like, yeah, I'm super familiar. I've done studies on it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Give me a thumb gauge if you're in the middle there. Heard this? It's okay. Nobody's looking. I'm not like judging. Like, oh, you don't know. No, it's you don't know. Not doing that. It's just helpful. Helpful to understand how we need to teach what we need to do here. It's just it's just real brief on this. The day of the Lord uh, defined here refers to a time of God's wrath of his judgment, his destruction. You see, uh, they'll come upon the, the sudden destruction, it says in verse 3. As you just search your Bible, if you use any sort of uh, Bible app or uh, online search uh, engine in the Bible, and you just put a day of the Lord in the quotes, what you'll find is you'll find there's 19 references to it in the Old Testament, four here in the New Testament. Sometimes it's of a, of a partial present fulfillment in Israel's captivity, but ultimately what it is looking forward to is a future time of unprecedented devastation unleashed upon the earth. It will come suddenly and imminently uh, after uh, the, the, the believers are caught up in the air comes after what is referred to in chapter 4, verse 16. Just look, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the air. Thank you, brother. That is a massive encouragement to me. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is what we have to look forward to as believers as this day of the Lord. After that day, then this destruction being unleashed upon the earth. And that's, that's really the next monumental change. The next thing in God's redemption story is this catching up in the air of believers, both the dead and alive that chapter 4 is speaking of. And then this day of the Lord is unleashed. And what is it that marks these days? Well, look at what verse 3 says. When people are saying there's peace and security... It's then in the midst of this uh, peace and security that is being trumpeted by, you know, and what every diplomat, what every politician is looking forward to, right? And is working to achieve and as such they should. But when the guard is down to celebrate, that's when the devastation begins and it will progress with increasing intensity and fervency, just like labor pains. Just like uh, the, the, the day, uh, you know, and the pain of labor but for the Christian, much like labor, it ends in hope. And this is the light that we know. This is the hope. This is the good news of Jesus that even in the midst of warning of destructions like this, the events that Revelation 6 through 19 describe in great metaphorical detail, the unrelenting, terrible times that is yet to come, even in that even in our moments in our own life of despair and trial and devastation, we live as children of hope. And look at the metaphor in verses 5 and 6. It says, you're children of light, children of the day, not of the night, not of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And so the question this morning for us is, are we children of light or are we children of, of darkness? Are we children of the day or are we children of the night? Are we those who've been adopted by God the Father, a co-heir with Christ, a child of light? Or are we those who are still enslaved to the father of lies, a resident of the domain of darkness, wandering in the night? 
We'll see the hope and the encouragement of a passage like this is tethered to the light, to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, of what he did for us and what he has promised to do uh, one day. See, the good news of the gospel is, yes, that uh, in the past tense, our sin has been taken care of, but it is also good news in a future sense that this home, this world that we live in is not our home, that Christ will return. See, and this is what we encourage one another in, that our hope, our confidence must be tethered to what Christ has done and what he has promised he will do for us. See, all throughout the scripture, this encouragement, we, we see it attached to the, to the good news of the gospel. You see it in, in stories of salvation. You see it as, a, as, as in the teachings of what is yet to come. Just turn over to Acts chapter 9 for a second here. I want you to just see this because it's super interesting uh, to me. I was just, in, in God's kindness and providence, I was reading in my uh, Bible plan and through the book of Acts. And yesterday I came across this and saw this same uh, idea from, uh, and these same words here connected together in, uh, in Acts chapter 9. And so you, you may be familiar with this story if you've read through your Bible or you know the story of the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote 1 Thessalonians, he had a radical transformation. He went from a persecutor of God's people to a preacher uh, to God's people. He was a guy that was spewing out uh, all kinds of evil things against God and against God's people to a guy who was boldly proclaiming the word of God and the things of God. And it was was radical. And it's all, his stories all lined out here, his transformation. He escapes from people that are trying to kill him because they're so surprised. They're like, what in the world has happened? And yet, even in the the news of his uh, his salvation and the preaching of the gospel, look what it says in verse 31. It says, so the church... Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, that's like every region of, of Israel, they had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now note the connection here too, as we think of 1 Thessalonians 5.11, as he's writing of the end that is to come and the hope of the gospel and where he's going here. And he says to therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Well, what do we see in the same verse? The uncommon community there is being built up, and they have the comfort. Guess what word that is? Same word, translated differently here. Encouragement. Encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplies. See, this gospel transformation in Paul's life to the church all across that region was an accelerant, a multiplication. It was tethered to the hope of the gospel as they see even the worst and most uh, hated uh, persecutors of the people of God. As they see the gospel, the good news that Jesus can change people's lives, it propels them forward. What an encouragement to the people of God. And this is, this is a connection that's made all throughout our, our New Testament. As we think about the gospel, as we think about Christ's return, even to the writer of, or, or even to the people of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews brings this out in, in Hebrews 10. Look at this. It's on the screen here. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. We're going to come to that in a later Sunday. It's one of our well and others. But note this, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is he speaking of? Day of the Lord. 
day after day, every day, our encouragement to one another should be increasing. It's why we gather together. It's why we must spend time together as we are encouraging one another. But see all the, also the connection in Romans 15 here. It's on the screen also. We looked at this just the other week and passage on welcoming one another. But he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. What's he speaking of? What was written in former days? The Bible, particularly to the Romans. He's talking about the Old Testament here, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And so what's he saying? As we come to the word of God, as we read these things, what were written, the hope and the encouragement that we find here, it comes from God. It is God speaking to us, giving us the endurance that we need, the encouragement that we need to continue moving forward. So if we're going to, this must, our, our encouragement must be tethered to the word of God. As those with gospel encouragement, it must be, see, this is where we find the pure source of encouragement with true power to actually move us forward. Memes and sentimental cards may bring a smile to a person's face. Well wishes may distract from the pain for a moment, but gospel encouragement brings true hope and true encouragement for the days ahead. And so if this, if this is where we anchor to, then how then uh, should we live? You note the second thing as we come back to, to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Go back there. Let's come back and pick up where we left off in verse 7. There's a second way to encourage without hesitation. It's to model this encouragement with steadiness. And so he's saying here, there's a way of life, a manner of life as those who have this gospel hope, of those who are children of the light, they're to be sober. Look what he says in verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. See, what happens in the night, church? What happens after dark? Well, you either, most of us sleep, right? Maybe you work third shift. But it's usually sleep or bad things. When Aaron and I counsel dating couples or uh, those who are engaged before we're married, we usually tell them, hey, nothing good uh, generally happens after 9 p.m. When you're alone, it's just like, yeah, and uh, in those days, nothing good generally happens after 9 p.m. And so it's just better to call it a night and to pick it back up in the morning and it'll be okay. But let's be clear here. Paul isn't just, he's not like just changing topics. He's not all of a sudden now speaking to what happens at night or to drinking. The metaphor is continuing. See, when we're asleep or when we're inebriated is when we're not at our best. It's when our senses are dulled, our movements are impaired, our thinking is clouded. And some of us maybe even have like those stories of the, of the regrettable things that we've said while we were asleep or maybe even drunk. My wife... Uh, tries to record me sometimes in the middle of the night because apparently I, I talk in my sleep. I've been told this all along from my siblings, my college roommate, now my wife. I, I've yet to hear it myself, so I, I don't know. But uh, she'll try to, like with her phone next to it, try to like uh, record me because I'll have conversations. I'll say uh, who knows what. But see, that kind of sleepy stupor is not how, <coughs> excuse me, how we're to be as Christians. 
We're not to just be walking about with dulled senses or kind of going with the flow or uh, uh, in the highs and lows and unstable in life, but rather we're to be steady. We're to be sober. Our senses are alert. Our movements poised and agile. That's what he's speaking of being sober, not abstaining from alcohol. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we then, how do we walk with this sobriety? How do we walk with this uh, 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 sober, uh, sobriety of, or steadiness of the faith? Well, it means that we put on the breastplate of faith and love. What does a breastplate uh, protect? Our body, our inner organs here, it protects us. This faith in Christ is what saves us and sanctifies us. It keeps us from sin. The, the love that is from Christ is what secures us, our love for Christ, knowing that he is who made us and, come, uh, and, and we're confident in that. As we put this on, it enables us to walk with steadiness where we do not doubt it. As we put on the helmet, what does a helmet protect? Our head and our mind, we put on the hope of salvation, a future oriented as we put our mind in those moments when we want to, uh, uh, to, to despair, when we want to, uh, to, to forget, when we are overwhelmed with the heaviness of life, we fix our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And we flood, we open up the floodgates of the gospel and the things that Christ has promised to do, he will surely do it here. And sometimes we just need to be really careful about what we're putting in our heads. Because what tosses us to and fro are the things that we put in our minds. And and see, what what we put here affects what we put into our minds. What we allow into our life affects how we worship, walk, and work, and wait uh, for Christ, and how we encourage one another in Christ. And so maybe it's time as we we find ourselves unsteady or discouraged that we, we need to change some habits about what we're putting into our life where the intake of garbage is affecting our overflow in our own life and in our encouragement of others. But see, as we come back to the truths here, the truths of our salvation, look what he's saying here. He's just like taking us, uh, it's, it's, it's like a what, train car after another. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath. Like, how, what's, what's all this about? but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you need some encouragement today, if you need to be steadied in your own life, if you're walking with somebody through an unsteady time in their life, it is these things that anchor us in those moments. What is our end, church? Are you in Christ today? Is wrath at the end of your journey? That even as we walk through hard seasons in life, we have the hope that our end, the end destination is not one of wrath, but is what? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. See, like I said earlier, the same certainty that we have of Christ's uh, past death on the cross and resurrection is the same hope that we have now that we will achieve glory, that we will be with him for eternity for he died for us and he is coming back for us as well. This is meant to be an encouragement to us. It is meant to steady us in our life when we lack the courage to continue moving forward, when we lack the faith to follow in joyful obedience what God has called us to do. 
And so how do we encourage? What is it? How does he, he says all these things and then he sums it up. Therefore, encourage one another. How do we do that? By living a life that is steady, ready, and faithful. Or as verse uh, 5, uh, 8 says, to be sober. See, the, the, one of the best things that we can do in a world that is constantly changing when CDC recommendations are, are, are here today and gone tomorrow, where a company meeting drops some unexpected and career-altering news on you when stock markets you know, skyrocket one day and plummet the next day, we encourage one another by being steady through it all, through the ups and downs of life, through we know that God himself is unchanging. And therefore, we can be sober. Not stoic or unaffected. And what I'm not saying is that we're just like, uh, oblivious to the, you know, to the joys and pains of life. But we're sober. We're steadfast. We're continuing on, anchored to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, more than words, sometimes what the people in our life needs are just a steadying presence. Someone who is themselves anchored in the gospel Husbands, this is what your wife most often needs in the chaotic moments of our life. Our steady hope in the gospel. This is what the people in your small group, in your sphere of influence, those around you uh, often need more often than just a, a nice text or just the, uh, the, the simple expressions of I'm praying for you. They need just your steady, encouraging Hope in the gospel as they see you live your life, as you bring them near and walk with them, as you come alongside, though the road is hard, we are plodding along patiently with one another, encouraging one another that our best days are yet ahead, that good is at the end of the road. See, I hope you realize this as believers, that as Christians, there are no bad endings in our life. Chapters may end on devastating notes. Moments may be hard and painful, but the end is always good. Even in the worst case scenarios, even in the most devastating of moments, we have at the end of the road the best ending possible. There are no bad endings for us, church. In this truth, this understanding, this belief is what puts courage in us. It's what allows us to come alongside others and keep moving forward as we uh, need faith and we need one another to keep plodding along. We encourage without hesitation, uh, just walking in the steadiness that the gospel brings in our life. For the moments when we need it most and the moments when we are faint. See, the text continues on, and apparently the Thessalonians needed some encouragement. He uses this word quite often here. He uses it twice in the context of the end times, and then in just a few verses. I didn't read it earlier, but I'm going to read it. Now he shows who we direct our encouragement towards, especially. See, if we're going to encourage without hesitation, write this down. We, we direct it towards the faint-hearted. We direct it towards the faint-hearted. Now, well, everybody needs some encouragement, right? Anybody in here like, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty full up. I'm overflowing with my own encouragement. I don't need anybody to say anything nice to me. It's, no, of course, we all want encouragement, but there are those who especially need it. Look what he says in verse 14. 
and we urge you, right? We urge you. This is, there's like an oomph behind that. We urge you, brothers, it's everybody, the church, brothers and sisters, the, the, the believers, the old school word, the brethren, right? Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so there's some pop here, right? There's four commands. Everyone is called to do this. This is biblical soul care. This is mutual ministry. He's not saying, hey, we urge you pastors. We urge you small group leaders. We urge everybody. This includes you. Are you a believer today? Are you amongst the brothers and sisters in the Lord? And guess who this is speaking to? Point your finger at yourself for a minute, right? This is me. This is me. We urge you. This is what we have to do to admonish the idle, encourage the faint heart, to help the weak, and be patient with them all. The idle are those who are unruly and disobedient. Those who know what the, uh, the, the Lord has commanded and are just not doing it. It's not like idle, like lazy in this sense. It is those who, <coughs> excuse me, who need uh, some sense put in. So the idol here, that's what admonishment is, to put sense in somebody, to get them moving, to get them going. But to the faint-hearted, those who are sad, those who are worn out, those who are discouraged, those who lack the courage to take the next step, those who are hurting for some reason, it is they who need encouragement, the consolation, the comfort, the courage that comes from following Christ. To the weak, this could refer to both the physical weakness or even spiritual weakness, those who are, 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 uh, have some sort of uh, bodily pain or the elderly or the illness that has overtaken them. They need this service and help in the presence of those people to those who are spiritually weak, who are doubting their salvation, who are, who, who are immature in the faith, who are being tempted severely in the moment. They need the instruction of the scripture on how to escape. They need the help, the physical presence and help of the scripture and no matter what category we're coming alongside whether they're idle faint-hearted or weak we're to be what patient with them all that might be the hardest one of all right sometimes we can see the way we can see the truth. Somebody's discouraged and we're like, you know what? Jesus is coming back. I don't understand why this is so hard for you. That's not y'all. That's just me, right? We get, we get frustrated because it seems so easy to us. And yes, they can. And no matter what situation, no matter what scenario, we must be patient and not think, oh, this is taking way too long, but continue to walk alongside. And who is it that are faint-hearted? Who is it that need the courage to keep going? To who do we direct this to? Well, one, those who are younger than us in the faith. I think this is Titus 2, what he's getting at uh, there in the instructions. And the older and the younger, it's not like we graduate to one and then we don't. But uh, look, look around the room. There's likely somebody who is younger than you in this, in this room. Somebody who has not been walking with the Lord as long as you have. And it is our role to come alongside and to bring them near, to walk in faith and to show them the way it is to go. The text also, I think, highlights a few of these. In, in between where we've left off in verse 11 and verse 14, look what he says in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their 
work. See the leaders that God has put in your life, your spiritual leaders, need encouragement. Maybe they, the, those that open consistently their heart and their home to lead you, they need the encouragement just as much as anybody. And I would, I would urge you, even today, to ask you to reach out, to just encourage your small group leaders, to encourage those who, uh, to, who, who fit into these categories with you. Maybe they need the encouragement to continue on, but who else? I want to point out something in chapter 4, verse 13, where all this teaching on the end times and these encouragement comes. He's directing this towards a specific group of people, towards those who grieve. Verse 13 in chapter 4, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do who have no hope. Church, those who fall into this faint-hearted category, those who are worn out, who are sad, are those who are suffering, those who are mourning the loss of someone or something. And it's in these moments that God in his kindness has designed to the community of faith that come alongside to encourage one another, to build them up just as we are doing with the hope that we have in the gospel. With the truth of God's word that fortifies our heart and mind in the moments where everything else is crumbling. We direct our encouragement towards those in these categories. And, and we have to be careful not to mix this up because to the idol, those who need admonishment, they don't need encouragement. Even though that's popular today, the, you know, to positive reinforcement and bribing kids to do good things you know, when, they're, when they're acting a fool, no, they, they need admonishment, not encouragement. The weak need, need our help, not just well wishes, not just good intentions. They, they, they need our help, but our encouragement we direct towards the faint-hearted, to the sad, to the discouraged. In redemption, can we be an uncommon community who seeks to do this well? Who, you know, people who are known for encouraging without hesitation because our hope is anchored to the gospel, because our hope is, is, is in Christ's return, that we don't have this temporary, you know, kind of uh, 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 painted on face and the, that things are, you know, going to be good. But we encourage one another with a robust belief and confidence in the gospel and in Christ's return. And when we get this right, the light of Christ shines bright. When we get this right, the light of Christ shines bright into the darkness of despair and discouragement that dims our day. When we get this right, the light of Christ shines bright in an age when ridicule and rage are spewed about and championed as, as liberty and as virtues. You know, when we get this right, it's the hope of the gospel that it is on display. It is a part of our worship of God, our care for one another, and our evangelism, our unafraid witness to the world around us that is walking in darkness. So church, let us encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing, living a life that is distinct uncommon and moving forward accelerating one another in faith church would you pray with me to that end god in heaven thank you for this hope thank you for passages like these that take our eyes off the things of the earth the 
the scary moments, the hard moments, the tender moments, the uh, uh, even the joy-filled moments, and bring us to the reality of your return and the hope that we have in it, that this is not our home, but you are coming back for us. And so I pray, God, that uh, you would do your work in our heart even now, that you, the God of endurance and encouragement, would do a work in us, giving us greater assurance by the work of your Spirit in our hearts to know that we are deeply loved, that tomorrow is, uh, uh, is full of hope. Lord, help us to see that, to believe that, even when there is anxiety this day might bring. Would you plant us deep in the gospel? Lord, and not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the people around us. Let our encouragement, let our words, let our actions not just be trite. Let them not be sporadic, merely opportunistic, just when we feel like it. But let our encouragement be steady, consistent, Active, moving towards one another in the same way that you, Christ, moved towards us, brought us near. Your spirit brings us near, comforts us and consoles us. Help us to do that. Let us be your uh, hands and feet, your mouthpiece for this encouragement. We worship you because of it, God. We worship you. Pray these things now in Christ's name.